Amen. Thank you, Katie, and thank you, Susan. Check test. Is that working there? We got to had to do a little mic change. There we are. All right. Good. All right. Hey, good morning, church. Again, we're glad that you're here with us this morning as we worship the living God. And open your Bibles, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 8. If you use the Pew Bible, it's page 403 in your Pew Bible. And make sure to keep them open as we study together this morning. In 1961, the Lord's team, the Green Bay Packers, go ahead, go ahead. So the, the Green Bay Packers came off a devastating loss in the NFL championship the previous year. And legendary coach Vince Lombardi, disappointed with that result, came to training camp with a different approach. He came to the conclusion that this training camp, that these grown men professional football players who had played this game for years, they had to get back to the fundamentals. So we started training camp with these professional athletes with this introductory statement for that year at training camp. He said, gentlemen, this is a football. Any questions? They went on to win the NFL championship that year, and in fact, uh, including two Super Bowl wins, they won five of the next seven championships, and the Super Bowl trophy still to this day is called the Lombardi Trophy. You see, Coach Lombardi knew something. He, sometimes you have to get back to basics. You have to go back to the fundamentals. And Nehemiah chapter 8 is very much like that for Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 8, the narrative shifts from the familiar first-person writing style that we've seen from Nehemiah so far. And last week, Jeff rightly pointed out that there's an overlap between the ministries of Ezra, the scribe and priest in Israel, and Nehemiah as leader and governor over Jerusalem. And this section of Scripture is going to give us some evidence of that. Ezra and Nehemiah were contemporaries of each other, and many Bible scholars actually believe that this section that we're going to be studying for the next couple of weeks is actually coming from Ezra's memoirs. You see, Ezra and Nehemiah's ministries overlapped each other, and there's a point at which they're working side by side in Jerusalem for the sake of God's people, and that's going to be important for us, especially as we study today. Ezra, and as a priest and scribe, is going to play an important role in the next few chapters as the focus shifts away from building a wall to the true rebuilding that needs to take place, the spiritual rebuilding of God's people. Remember, the building of the wall is a means to an end, and that end is not a fortified city. The fortified city, the structure, it fulfills its purpose, and that purpose is to reestablish the people, not geographically, not politically, not even ethnically. The rebuilding that is going to take place centers around the reestablishment of a covenant people. It's a reestablishment of their covenant relationship with God. At this point, Nehemiah necessarily takes a back seat in the story because this next phase is going to take a different kind of leadership. If we were to put a modern spin on this passage, Nehemiah and Ezra function respectively almost like a pastoral team. On one side you have Nehemiah, who really is more of an executive pastor, administrative pastor, and then on the other side you have Ezra, who is a teaching pastor. And both were necessary for Israel. Israel needed leaders like Nehemiah, who found himself on the forefront with a desire to restore the people, to reorient them 
toward God through the functional needs that they needed in order to be reestablished as a people. Walls had to be built. Plans had to be formulated and executed. Defense strategies enacted. People counted. Generosity fostered. All of this was necessary for the reestablishment of the people, and Nehemiah fulfills that. But with this next step, without the next step, the work is going to be incomplete. Now that those things have all been addressed, spiritual rebuilding needs to take center stage. And all of that work that Nehemiah has seen and done needs to go into the background. Because neglect of those things isn't what led Israel into exile. Maintaining walls and having the financial coffers full, census taking place, that didn't put Israel in exile. In fact, prior to the exile, Israel was pretty good at that stuff. They liked their shiny church things. It wasn't that they couldn't maintain those things that caused God to bring judgment and send them into captivity. It was disobedience that put them in that place. They find themselves in the position of rebuilding because of their unfaithfulness to God's covenant. They had drifted from obedience to God and all that He had spoken to them, and as such, God removes His hand of blessing from them. The destruction in the city, that's a byproduct. The financial demise as God's people that they find themselves in, that's a consequence. The deeper thing that is happening here is a separation of God from His people because they have rejected His rule and reign over them, and they rejected Him in His word. They thought they could lead themselves. But the joy is that, friends, God is a God of redemption, and His judgment has a purpose, to drive His people back to Him. And in the mercies of God, because of His great love for His people and in His sovereign plan of redemption, God has brought His people back. He has redeemed a remnant, just like He said He would in the prophets. Now, let me just stop there for a moment. I want you to drink that in. God, who is faithful who has never been unfaithful, remains faithful to an unfaithful people and works for their restoration. Here's why we pause and we drink that reality in. Because he does the same thing for us. Have you been unfaithful to God? Do you feel distant from God at times? Are you ready to be a restored covenant people before God and enjoy his presence with you? Well, then this passage is for you. This passage is for us as a covenant community of God's people. What we should see in Nehemiah chapter 8 is how to rise up and build a healthy church. A church that needs walls built, budgets to be enacted, functional, practical things to take place. But all of those things only support what really must happen as we rise up and build God's church in His vision as a covenant people. And what happens in this passage is a picture of a New Testament reality on what it means to be a covenant people bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. The one mission of the church to make disciples. Jesus' parting words as He ascended into heaven after His resurrection. Make disciples. By definition, a disciple does three things sits under a teacher, 
responds in obedience, and seeks to imitate the one who instructs them. As we look at the morning, this morning's passage, we're going to see all of that emerge from God's covenant people as the covenant is reestablished with Israel. And it's so simple. It's so fundamental. It's Israel's this is a football moment. A covenant reestablished on people pursuing understanding and obedience to the Word of God. With that as the backdrop, let's stand together as we read from Nehemiah chapter 8 on page 403. We're actually going to begin with the last sentence of Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 73. Hear the word of the Lord. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shammah, Anaiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Maaseiah on his right hand, and Pedaiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hadabaniah, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maaseiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josebed, Hanan, Pelaiah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us this word. May we hear and walk in obedience. You may be seated. Stop for a moment and consider this peculiar people, Israel. What made them Israel? God's words about them. Before, they were not a people, but God made them a people. He spoke certain things about them, said what established them, what separated them as a distinct, wholly different people than the nations around them. Israel's entire identity was bound up in what God spoke. God pointed to them over and over again. This is, this is my word. Any questions? And during their time of exile, that was lost. What was spoken was rejected. The last sentence in Nehemiah chapter 7 actually serves better, not as a conclusion to chapter 7, but actually as an introduction to chapter 8. Let's read it again. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Underline that phrase, the seventh month. The wall is built. The people are counted. We know who the priests are. The building project has been given to and now it's complete. And everyone, they go home. Hooray! But the reason this verse is important is because of that time marker, the seventh month. The seventh month on the Hebrew calendar was their most holy month. It was the beginning of their ecclesiastical spiritual year much like Advent, the first Sunday in Advent, is for us. It's where they celebrated the atonement, the feasts, and the festivals given in the Torah. The timing here is interesting. We've noted the efficiency of the work Nehemiah oversaw, but if we bring that seventh month into the room, as the people gather on this first day of the seventh month, it's actually just six days after the wall is complete. Later in Nehemiah, we're going to return back to the wall and its dedication. But as they approach their most holy month, the wall needs to be put on the shelf because they're going to do something that they have not done for close to 150 years. Come together as one man, all the people inside the walls that they just built, gathered around what makes them the people of God, the Word of God. Nothing more. Israel, this is the Word of God. Any questions? What we see in this passage are the three fundamental aspects of biblical discipleship. Sitting under a teacher, responding in obedience, and seeking to imitate the ones who instruct them. And it begins with pursuing the Word of God. Notice in the text, What's happening at the very beginning of this passage, the people longed for the Word of God. As they come on their own volition, back together as one man, they know the significance of this seventh month. They know what they as a people have been missing for well over a century and a half and what they desperately, desperately needed. They, it says, came as one man together and they come to Ezra and say, bring us the word. Let's get back to the fundamentals because we've forgotten them. Men, women, young and old, anyone who had the ability to hear 
and understand the words spoken, they came together, according to the passage. And according to the passage, every ear was attentive to the word of God proclaimed. They were a people who were totally enraptured and captivated by the proclaiming of God's word, the word that made them who they were as a people that set them apart for him. Ezra proclaims the word for six hours. Six hours. And they are hanging on every word in absolute reverence and awe of the word that is proclaimed. These were a people ready to worship and respond. They say amen and amen. And their physical presence shows their heart of worship. When the word was proclaimed, it was as if everything in life stopped and nothing else mattered. They came with willing hearts, knowing that disobedience to the word that they were hearing at that moment is what cost them the most as their people, as their identity was, was in, in jeopardy. But as they hear the word proclaimed, as they come together under this word, they're reminded not only of their disobedience, but also reminded of a God who is rich in mercy, who will restore them. Friends, this is what you bring to the table in discipleship. A heart to pursue the word. A heart ready to hear and ready to understand the word that God has for you that establishes your identity as a child of God. It's in the pages of this book that God reveals who he is and who you are. It's where we see the story of redemption unfold, a fallen people restored to their king, a story of a Savior who redeems and restores, revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Friends, if a people who lived in spiritual poverty for well over a century and a half in captivity can come with this kind of heart of reverence and pursuit of the Word, we can too in the power of His Spirit. Imagine for a moment you are one of these Israelites. You've just taken two months away from all of your regular work. You barely have enough as it is. The work for the church is finally done. You go home to your fields that are mortgaged. They're barely yielding enough crops during a famine. You are under the stress of all of that. There's plenty of things to be busy with at home. And you've just been home for six days. Now, shouldn't you be a good, responsible person and tend to that work? These people knew better. They had learned something. Neglecting the Word of God is what put them there in the first place. They didn't have time, from the world's perspective, to go and listen to someone preach for six hours. Then to stay for another day, and then for a whole week, and then as it turns out, for about three and a half weeks. They didn't have time for that. But they knew that without the Word of God, nothing that they did in this world mattered at all. Being a healthy disciple and pursuing the Word of God mattered that much. Friends, this is what you bring. But you're not alone. Guidance is necessary for understanding the Word of God. These people have been without the Word of God proclaimed and they pursued it. But while they understood the words that were being spoken, they needed guidance in understanding the intent behind the words and God provides that understanding through Ezra and the Levite teachers. According to the passage, 
These people needed help understanding what was being spoken to them. And they didn't just need to hear the Word. They needed to be taught the Word and to be transformed by the Word. And that was the role of the Levites to teach them. That was a duty handed down to the Levites. It was in their job description according to Deuteronomy chapter 33. In Deuteronomy 33 verse 10, we see this, that they, the Levites, shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. There's a phrase in Nehemiah 8.8 that details the nature of their teaching that the Levites gave. And I want you to underline it. It's the phrase, they gave the sense. They gave the sense. This is an important phrase. It means that they explained what was being read to the people and what it meant, that it actually meant something in particular. These were teachers who had given themselves to knowing God's Word and the meaning and purpose behind it. They were disciple makers. They embodied the truth proclaimed by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16 over half a millennia later that the words of Scripture are theonoustos, God-breathed. It's the very breath of God, the same breath that gives life to His creation. That same breath is poured into His Word, and as such, every single word under divine inspiration has purpose. It has a sense to be understood, and that's what we see happening in Nehemiah chapter 8. This is at the very heart of the only legitimate form of preaching, expository preaching. Expository preaching quite literally means to expose the text, to give the sense. Friends, the Scriptures only have one sense, one intended meaning. Authors of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit had an intended meaning for those that they wrote to, and to impose anything other than that sense that the author had is to do violence to the text. The Levites had been given charge over the teaching, and in a plurality of teachers, they gave themselves to the study of the Word so that they could give the sense of what was written. They did the hard work laboring over the Word. There was no one to say, well, yes, well, that's nice, Ezra, but that's really up to interpretation. Why didn't the people come with that heart? Because they trusted these men who had been called by God to the work, and trusted that they were giving themselves to know the sense of God's Word. They said, we trust you. Teach us. Give us the sense, the meaning of the Word of God. We live in a culture today where no experts exist. You can be your own expert on just about anything with a quick Google search and a YouTube video. But as such, The pulpit has been marginalized and expository preachers all of a sudden are suspect. We are suspect in light of what feels good and the pixel preachers on YouTube give you the sense of what you want rather than sitting under the local teaching of Levite teachers given by God. It's our call to say we trust you. Even when it's challenging, I want to seek to imitate you because you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. You have been called to give us the sense. Two weeks ago, Pastor Berlin and I spent a week at a preaching workshop on this very practice of expository preaching. We came together with other pastors to hone our craft and our calling 
and work together on the practice of coming to a plain sense of Scripture for your benefit. Friends, this is the kind of teaching that we're committed to at Oswego Alliance, to give you the sense of what God's Word means and how it applies to you in a modern context. Notice how this works itself practically out in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 and 12. Look back at your Bibles there, Nehemiah 8, 9 through 12. Upon hearing the word, the people are mourning and weeping. They're misunderstanding the word. They need the sense of what was read. This was the first day of their most holy season. This day, according to this passage, is holy. This is no time for mourning. That time will come, but today was a time for joy. But they didn't feel that. For them, they needed to understand, they needed to have the sense of the word, and the Levites provided that sense. And even though they didn't feel like it, the Levites teach them, and the people are willing to be taught and respond with joy because they trusted their teachers to give the sense. They understood and trusted the Levite teaching. But even more than that, they came to seek to do the same for themselves. Look at Nehemiah 8.13. This is on the second day now. They're together now on the second day. And look at what happens on the second day. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Now we've gone from reading to studying. The heads of the houses, the leaders in their homes and towns, a smaller group is ready to dig deeper they come to the Levites because they want to study. They want to be able to give the sense in their homes. Much more had to be gleaned from God's law, and the large gathering was an inefficient and insufficient way to do so. Practically, the heads of households, this smaller group of leaders, needed to be instructed in order to carry back important teachings to their families so they came under the Levites to study so they could get the sense. What is happening here in an Old Testament context is discipleship. But it, it's really something that is taught all throughout Scripture over and over again. Sit under a teacher, respond in obedience, and seek to imitate the one who instructs you. Friends, 30 minutes of preaching on a Sunday morning, even as we give ourselves to expository preaching, can only do so much. We can only get so far we got to dig deeper. This is why part of our vision as Swigo Alliance, as one of our core values, is teaching towards spiritual maturity. We are committed to giving you opportunities and creating opportunities for you to come under Levite-type teaching to dig deeper. It starts with equipping our community life group leaders, equipping new leaders and preparing men to be biblical elders. Women empowered to teach the word under the authority of those elders who are taking up, who by the way, are already taking up that mantle with three thriving Bible studies that have been formed. Men, heads of fathers' houses, they're outpacing us. And we need to step up, men. What we need are heads of households ready to take our work back to the people in your lives. But we also know as elders that you need a platform to be equipped. After the first of the year, we are hopefully going to be starting what right now I'm calling growth tracks. Uh, starting three different learning environments for us here. Uh, one where we will have Levites, if you will, 
from our community here teaching in 8 to 12 week blocks through books of the Bible. Another track where we will have 8 to 9 week sessions on uh, basics for developing believers, new Christians, and those who are, or for those who are just being introduced to Christianity. And a third that will dive deeper for mature Christians uh, in essential doctrines of the Christian faith that every believer in Jesus Christ should know. But we also need something for the day-to-day. Classes are insufficient. And we need to have encounters around the Word of God. Currently, I'm reading this book, One-to-One Bible Reading by David Helm. And it's, it's a very simple discipleship model where Christians commit to one-on-one relationships with another Christian or perhaps a non-Christian just to read the Bible. I think this is something that could work for us. But in short, if this is the place that you want to call your church home, we are committed that you will receive nothing less than the sense of God's Word through expository preaching and that we will equip you to do the same on your own. But the reality is understanding only gets you part of the way. It's up here. It doesn't do us any good. To be a healthy church and to be a healthy disciple, true discipleship is about understanding and obedience to the Word of God. Pursuing understanding and obedience. Notice the effect of understanding, getting the sense of the Word of God. The Israelites responded in obedience. They read the law and responded in obedience when the Levites helped them understand that the first day of that month should be a day of rejoicing and generosity even when they didn't feel like it. They were obedient. They studied the law the second day and responded in obedience when they understood that there were certain commands in the Scriptures that were being neglected even when they didn't have time to do it. Understanding and obedience. This is the nature of discipleship and the whole of the Christian life. Does this downplay any other part of the Christian life? No shot. It informs it. Everything that you do as a Christian is informed by you being made a disciple. This is the very mission of the church and it is the commission that we have been given by the Lord Jesus Christ as He ascended into heaven when He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Always with us for the purposes of making disciples. Make disciples. This is the primary activity of the church. Of the four verbs in this passage, make is the operative verb. That is the calling of the church. The other three verbs support it. Go, baptize, teach. This is how we make disciples. And they are all rooted in what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. Pursuing the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, and obedience to the Word of God. I'm going to ask Katie and Susan to come back, and as they do, this is who we are committed to being as a church. At least this is where I'm committed to leading you. A people who know Jesus Christ, grow in Jesus Christ, and go for Jesus Christ. If that's what you want to be a part of, 
rise up and build with us here at Oswego Alliance. And it's going to start with getting back to the fundamentals. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Word of God. Any questions? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you do speak something particular about us. That just in the same way that your word speaks truth about who Israel is and they hear, pursue, obey, and respond in obedience, God, you give us the ability to do the same. We are no different than those Israelites. We have the ability to do this, but not in our flesh. It's only by your spirit. You've given us the call to be a people who make disciples. We pray that we would be about that business, that mature Christians in this room, that you would burden their hearts by the command that you give to be disciple makers, that they would not be able to sleep on that. And God, we pray for those who need to come under those Levites And we pray that you would give them a heart to pursue. In the same way the Israelites came to Ezra and said, teach us the word, we pray that you would give us people. We pray that the the things that are in our minds, that are in my mind, that we are considering this next year, that you would cause them to come to fruition, that those three growth tracks would be full of people. That these three thriving women's Bible studies would have even more women involved in them. That you would cause men to step into the role of teaching men your word. And that you would keep Pastor Verlin, myself, Pastor Wade, and Jeff as our teachers here. That you would keep us on the line of giving the sense and only the sense of what the Word of God says. Father, in all of this we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.